Welcome to the Kara's Care Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundlin. It's a new year, but rather than set a bunch of unrealistic resolutions, maybe you've already done that. How about some intentions? We have eight great doable intentions to really help your mental health as a parent. Psychologist Dr. Laura Saunders is joining us now to help us through this. Welcome, doctor. Hello, Kara, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. I know we can keep saying that. And, you know, I think um, I love the idea that these are doable. And, and you want to let everyone know that what we're about to talk about, these are eight things. But for those overachievers out there, you don't have to do all eight. Even one or two from a psychologist's chair will actually improve the quality of our life, right? Yes, absolutely. Right. And I think what's really important to note is that, as you said, these are not, I mean, I'm calling them resolutions, but these are not like if I didn't do this for the entire month of January, I'm on a complete and utter failure and I why bother trying, right? These are like daily intentions that we set for ourselves. So it's not, a, I don't want people to get involved in like black and white thinking where it's like all or nothing. These are opportunities and these are intentions and that when the sun rises each day, we have the opportunity to set a positive intention for ourselves really just making one or two changes can be immensely helpful for your sense of well-being. Yeah. All right. I love number one. It's pause on purpose daily. We're not even using the meditation word. We're saying pause on purpose. Yes. I mean, and whatever that means to you. So it could be, um, you know, it could be looking up to the sky and taking some deep breaths and saying a prayer or, thinking about someone that you care about or thinking about someone that you might have lost or, or, you know, sitting down and meditating for some period of time. There's no one way to do this. It's about taking time to reflect. It's letting your breath come in. It's letting thoughts clear from your mind. Um, You can go over a favorite quote. Uh, You know, I've shared before that I have my intentions that I use, right? And they are, I am happy. I am at peace. I am healthy and I am safe. These are the intentions that I that I offer to myself, that I repeat to myself that I think can be very helpful. It's just about taking some time. Yeah, yeah. And so if um, you might want to make this part of your daily practice, you recommend we might even set an alarm to remind ourselves or like I'll write breathe on my to-do list because if I'm looking at it all the time, I might remind myself to just take a breath before I move on to the next thing. Yes, and... And, you know, to bring it as an intentional part of your day and to bring it in as a as a kind of regular time, like you always do it at two o'clock or you always do it at 10 o'clock in the morning or you do it first thing when you wake up, you do it right before you go to bed. There's no one way to do this. It really is about doing it in a way that feels intentional and brings you a sense of calm, even if that calm is just for a minute or two each day. Number two, forgive yourself because you say nothing really good comes from holding on to regrets. And I love, you know, people don't get confused about forgiveness, right? This is not really about the other person. This is the gift you give yourself. This is the gift that you give yourself that keeps on giving. And it's, you know, look, this is something we're all working on is holding on to regrets. Um, You know, statements such as I should have or If only, right, those kind of statements are, you know, holding on to regrets. You know, I should have done X last year, you know, and then often what comes with it is kind of a negative 
self-statement. So <clears throat> cut yourself some slack, release those things that you are holding onto that really kind of burden your, your emotional well-being on a regular basis. So beware of those sayings, I should have done this, or uh, why didn't I do this, or, or if only I did this, those kind of statements are the, the sort of thing that shows that you're holding on to regrets. So forgive yourself. So can we take a little deeper dive? People will say that, but then they go, how? How do you practically forgive yourself? Because I think we have these repetitive thoughts, I shoulda, woulda, coulda. I I use self statements, right? So, you know, I should have I should have done, you know, exit my job last year. But I didn't. And there must be a reason I didn't. And today, okay, go, coming back to what we have control over, which is today. Today I will do something good for myself. So, it it is about your, you know, we call them cognitions, right? The thoughts you have in your head. It's taking those thoughts instead of hanging on to those negative things from the past, which really only serve to make us feel terrible about ourselves. Um, it's bringing yourself back into the present moment. It's setting an intention, something that you have control over today, something that you can do for yourself today. So hanging on to those negative things from the past just doesn't help. Mm -hmm. And number three, let go of toxic people in your life and this might even mean a family member. So this is one of those things that's definitely easier said than done. And, and I want people to give themselves the grace to step away from someone. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're cutting them off 100%, but that you're having less contact or you're waiting longer to reply to that text or reply to that phone call or, you know, not accepting you know, the offer to have lunch with that friend that really just makes you feel terrible about yourself. So it's giving, again, another thing where it's kind of giving yourself permission to sort of step away from people. You don't have to like actively break up with them. I'm never going to be your friend again. Um, or or it's for the family members, sometimes it's even harder, but to really take steps back from toxic people, people that make us feel bad about ourselves, those are not the kind of people we want to surround ourselves with. Mm -hmm. So what if it is a parent, like it's your mother or it's your sister? Do you tell them or you're just setting these boundaries internally and trying to give yourself some space? I think it starts with an internal boundary or, or honestly, whatever works. If, if, if you need to set a verbal kind of external boundary to someone, listen, I, I, I need to take some space from you or I need to, you know, I, I need to kind of do my own thing or take care of myself for the next month. If you need to set that as an external boundary, you can do that. Um, but I think sometimes it starts with that internal intention of, I need to take better care of myself. And that means um, not having as much contact with person X, right? So it's that in, it starts with that internal intention and then kind of stepping back. And again, if it means setting an external verbal boundary or if it just means you're stepping yourself back away from something to protect your emotional well-being, it's doing what's best for you. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for people, right? Because a lot of us have been raised to be people pleasers. So that would be the opposite of setting a boundary and saying, well, this is what's good for me. I think a lot of people feel obligated to be a good daughter or a good friend. 
it is very hard. So I like to acknowledge that that's very hard. And that's why I think sort of that, again, that all or nothing approach, like I'm never going to have this person in my life again. I mean, sometimes that's necessary if they're, if they're that sort of toxic. Um, but it's, it's the progressive kind of stepping back that makes it easier. And it is, again, releasing that guilt. It's like, you know, I should have a relationship with this person or I should have a relationship with this person. Again, it's those shoulds that really just don't help us. Mm. It's stepping back in such a way that makes you feel like not having contact with them today actually gave me a little peace of mind. I love that you said not having contact with them today. So that, that maybe you're just starting with one day. <laughs> today is the day. I'm, I'm not going to return the phone call till tomorrow. So it doesn't, like you said, have to be this big thing, but just starting to uh, minimize some of the toxicity. But uh, number four, you said recognize what you can and cannot control. This is a big one, right? That might be the first thing when you're all upset about something, asking that question, can I control this or not control this? So this is really critical. Um, and this is something, these are the kinds of things that I say to myself a lot, like, is that something I have any control over? No, it's not. Okay, step back from it. Um, what you do and don't have control over. And that is really about being in the moment, right? I have absolutely no way to predict nor control what's going to happen in the month of February. I need to worry about today, mm. right? So I'm focusing on today. And sometimes I'm just focusing on the next hour. What do I need to do today to in my in my job or in, you know, with my children or, or, or in a relationship? What do I need to do right now? What do I don't have control over? Because what you do have control over in many of in many situations is how you react to things. Right. So if someone says something to me that was kind of like upsetting, I have control over whether or not I react to it, whether or not I ruminate over it for hours and hours or whether I say, that was a hurtful thing to happen, but I'm going to let it go, right? So, or I'm not going to overreact to it, or I'm not going to beat myself up over it. So, so realizing what you do and don't have control over, um, you do have control over reactions to stressors and how you manage some negative emotions. And, and sometimes, right, we're all just doing too much. So the reactions you have, the stressors, the, the reactivity you have, um, if you're finding that you're not really good at um, not reacting the way you wish, you know, we all make mistakes. But if you find yourself, you're overreacting or having these reactions that you wish were a little more evolved, um, it, it can be that we're just overstressed and, and we're, not, we're, not, we're not giving ourselves any space. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's true for a lot of these things. Right. <clears throat> and, and I do, I do like to take beginnings and that could be the new year. It could be the, you know, the start of a new day. It could be the beginning of a month, Wh whatever the beginning is and, and beginning can be pretty openly defined. Taking that as an opportunity to step back, pause, let something go. If you need to let it go, look, check, you know, do a check on that negative self-statement. Um, so it's doing those things that I have control over. I have control over, you know, taking some space and time for myself. I have control over not reacting to someone. Or if I did last time, I have, I think about it. I do some self-reflection. I say, I'd like to handle that differently next time. And this is how I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of the ways that we do that is through self-talk. So that's where we gotta we gotta work on the self talk, right? It's I, I've heard uh, psychologists often say we should really talk to ourselves the way we'd want to talk to a best friend, but we often don't. Yes, that's a whole other series when we talk about negative self statements, right? How do you you know would the statements that we make to ourselves sometimes the guideline that you use is 
would I ever make that statement to a friend or family member? Would I ever say, oh, you know, your hair really looks terrible today or that sweater? How, what were you thinking when you got dressed this morning? Right. Those are some statements we sometimes make to ourselves, um, but we don't necessarily want that just doesn't help us. Yeah. So if you wouldn't say it to someone else, don't say it to yourself. All right. I, I like it. Do I have control over it? Is it helpful? All right. I'm remembering. Going to take some notes. All right. Number five, uh, do one daily act of kindness. And this isn't just to be nice. This is there's science in this. It can actually improve your well-being. So there actually is science to altruism, right? That's the underlying uh, concept is altruism. Um, and it doesn't mean you need to lay down on the railroad tracks for someone. It's small and simple things. Holding a door, looking someone in the eye and saying, have a good day. You know, looking someone at, and smiling, giving someone, you know, a, a compliment, um, you know, buying buying a cup of tea or a cup of coffee for the person, you know, in line behind you. You know, and it, again, it doesn't have to be monetary things. They can be very simple things that you extend as an act of kindness Um as a way to just bring the emotional room for positive things to come into your own well-being. Uh, so this can be simple. And I'm wondering, you know, we all say we want the kids to be kinder. I, 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 there's a lot of meanness out there with kids in general um, when we were growing up, even now. But um, what's the best way as a parent, what's the best way to try to uh, make sure your kids are valuing that or doing that? So there's two ways. Um, the first way is to model kindness, right? So as a, as a parent, we are role models. And so it's modeling, you know, kindness in, in different ways. The other way is to reinforce positive behavior. As parents, sometimes we get very caught up in don't do this and why'd you do that? And, and you're such a, you know, you're so messed, right? We get caught up in a lot of the negativity. So sometimes it's recognizing the positive things. And what we say is that actually positive reinforcement is a far greater motivator than, than um, negative reinforcement or punishment or consequences. Mm. So the more you use positive reinforcement, I saw that you picked up your laundry and put it in the laundry basket, or thank you for bringing your plate to the sink, or Thank you for playing ball with your brother. I saw that you played outside, right? So it's kind of, it, it, you know, you're not saying you're the greatest and you're the best in the world. You're recognizing a positive behavior because pos recognizing positive behaviors is a very powerful motivator and reinforcer to continue that behavior. All right. And number six, clean up your social media. You want us to kind of evaluate our whole relationship with social media and how we're using it, how it's impacting us. So, you know, I say all the time, social comparison is the thief of joy. And social media is a lot about social comparison, right? You look on someone else's Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, and they look like they're having the best life ever, right? And so following those people or doing those things, um, if it continually makes you feel bad about yourself or makes you feel inadequate, well, then you need to take some space and distance. Maybe you need to not follow those people anymore. Maybe you need to evaluate the amount of time that you spend on social media. And a lot of phones and apps um, can track that for you. So really, it's really looking at that, looking at your relationship with social media and how it impacts you. Does it make you feel better about yourself at the end of the day or worse about yourself at the end of the day? 
And then if you are going to reevaluate, um, you know, I'll try and encourage my teenage daughter to do this. And they're like, oh, no, you know, they're so they love their phones. But um, it, it's not black or white thinking. What are some practical things we would do to reevaluate our social media? Well, it, it's like not following those people that just kind of traditionally make you feel bad about yourself. Sometimes following celebrities and people you don't know is actually kind of disconcerting because you think, oh, these people, they have all these great lives. And sometimes I think, well, why would I follow this person? I don't know anything about them. And I have no connection to them. I have not, I have no, not, no involvement with them. Um, so it's eliminating those people and just, you know, looking at how different social media sites make you feel about yourself. Because ultimately that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to improve our own emotional well-being. And even though you're not a big fan, I know all psychologists worry and parents worry about too much social media for the kids. There are some positive things. Like I follow a lot of psychologists. I think I follow psychology today. Uh, I follow some folks who are really into wellness and health and healing and healthy habits. So we can use our social media the reverse of if we're trying to build up some of these suggestions that you have for us. Um, seek out the people that are putting out positive things. We are looking to inspire ourselves, take better control over our lives, and and improve our emotional well-being. So anything anything that does that, then you continue it. Yeah. I love, um, I'm going to throw a few out there. Like, I love following Deepak Chopra. He'll put some very high wisdom stuff. I also love uh, following, you know, you can just search healthy habits or certain doctors that have a lot of follow. And they, they, they simplify, like Dr. Mark Hyman, little things that we should be eating, like one thing a day to do to add to your diet that you can feel like that's doable. Okay, I'm going to do that. So we can use social media as a way to keep ourselves accountable by weeding out the bad stuff and seeding some positive stuff that you would want us to be working on. Absolutely. And number seven, um, focus more on one-on-one -on -one relationships. So if you're finding yourself just scrolling all the time, that's obviously taking away time from one-on-one -on -one relationships, which are necessary for us to feel healthy. So, you know, there's actually a lot of research out there that says that while being on screens, you know, can can provide some benefits, they're not it's not all bad. <clears throat> it's actually one on one friendships in real time that allow us to to read people's social cues, to show empathy, to listen to someone. And the world is a little less of a lonely place if you have a friend. You don't need 10 friends. You just need one, maybe two friends. So doing things to nurture and foster relationships in your life, and that could be with your sister or your parent or your, you know, adult child. You don't need to be friends with your teens. Um, <laughs> you know, your adult child. But really doing things to foster those relationships, that's what feeds your emotional soul. Okay. I, I'm laughing because you said you don't need to be friends with your teens. I know that was half jest, half whatever, but you, you, from, a, from a child psychologist perspective, um, we are not trying to be too friendly with the teen. We're trying to be a role model and keep them on the straight and narrow or just expand on that for a moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the, what's the difference between, you know, a friend with a friend, you share mutual thoughts, ideas, concerns, worries, right? There's a mutuality to it. That's, I mean, that's the ideal 
friendship or relationship is that there's some mutuality. You share what you're worried about. You share something you're excited about. You share some thoughts and ideas and feelings and opinions. You don't need to be sharing your personal feelings and ideas and thoughts and worries with your children. That's the difference, right? Mm -hmm. When they're adults, then that's a different story because they're full grown adults. But when you share those things with children, they have no ability to control and that's a lot of responsibility for them. Mm -hmm. So the mutuality of a friendship is different than a parent-child relationship. Mm -hmm. Not that you can't be close or do some of these things, like go on walks and have some real time with them. Yeah. But uh, it, it, but the idea of a friend is that mutuality. Okay, so that's a good distinction. <laughs> um, keep learning. And I think that's one of the things I love about this job, this show. I get to talk to great minds like you. But anything that we do to keep learning um, is going to help us rather than just trying to change a bad habit you could use it as a way to feed your need for growth doing something that's a little bit challenging that makes you feel a little bit vulnerable and you know it, it could be reading a book uh, i've talked recently about doing wordle i love wordle it's a <laughs> kind of a challenge every day and every day i say i don't think i'm going to get it today and then many most days I get it but not every day right so it's accepting those little things that are are little defeats in our life and how we manage them um so it's it's an opportunity to learn it's an opportunity to be open it's an opportunity to challenge yourself um and it doesn't have to be in big huge ways you don't have to run a marathon to learn something new and challenge yourself it could be in little ways so, for instance, let's say it's a big resolution that people have to lose weight. And th just even that might be coming from um, a less healthy spot of I want to lose weight versus uh, flipping that and saying, I want to learn as much as I can about health. And or I want to learn about if you're, you know, your doctor says you need to work on your cholesterol. I want to learn about cholesterol and I want to learn some healthy habits that are going to turn it in the other direction, focusing more on the growth rather than I need to you know, whipping yourself. I need to lose. I need to lose. I need to lose. Right. It's in it's in it's bringing in healthy habits. Right. So, you know, learning could be I want to you know, I'd love to hike a few different uh, a few different trails or walks uh, that are in my area. Right. Mm -hmm. That could be a, a new learning experience and it, that gets you outside. It gets you doing something healthy. Um, so there's a lots of different things that you can do to learn. It's a really open-ended thing. It might be, you know, I want to go to the library and, and pull out a book from a section I'm not familiar with. I mean, there's lots of little ways people can challenge themselves. They don't have to be monumental. They can be simple. In fact, the simpler, the better, because the more likely it is that you'll actually do it. Well, and let's talk about that. We're talking about really essentially habits, intentions. Um, and, you know, I've read before the reverse of any bad habit is a good habit. But getting our habits to stick is sometimes difficult. That's why we have all these New Year's resolutions. What's the psychology behind a habit? We've heard we have to do it for 21 days. Um, what, what are some tips to actually make a habit work so that we can really change it and not just go, oh, I said I was going to do it, but I never did? Well, if it's different slightly different for different people, right? So it is about providing reminders, right? So whether you're a person that puts notes in your phone or sticks, you know, post-its to your computer or your mirror, um, it's doing things to remind yourself. Um, and it's giving yourself the grace to not be so angry and punish yourself and forgive yourself if you didn't do your healthy habit yesterday. You have an opportunity each day when the sun rises to create something good or positive in your life 
to better your emotional health. And it's just creating that routine and building it into your daily life. That's what helps us change habits. I think we're more aware, all of us, about our mental health since we've gone through the pandemic. From the view of the psychologist chair, are you seeing that we're getting more positive in this, that we're making some strides as a, as a group, as a collective? Uh, so I actually say all the time that I don't think there was a lot of positives that came out of COVID. But one of the positives that came out of COVID is that it helped people realize that without your mental and emotional health, it, it doesn't really matter how good your physical health is, right? You really need both to be a whole and complete person. So if you, like when people were alone or isolated or couldn't go out and couldn't interact with people, you saw how that isolation really just pulled down your, your sense of well-being and, and just negatively impacted your physical health as well. So we can't have one without the other. We have to continue to work on our emotional well-being. And that's what also then gives us the energy to go for a walk or include a healthier um, habit or healthier food into our into our diet. So doing things in conjunction, we can't have a whole life without working on our emotional health as well as our physical health. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, uh, especially in the social in the social media world, right? Instagram. I mean, I know you've said, beware, this is someone's Instagram life. So um, we're not going to take that to heart and say, I need to have that. However, if somebody might be listening to this and if they're um, an achiever, you might say, I'm going to write these eight things down. I'm going to try to do them all. Is that the wrong approach? Should we just be picking one or two, do one habit at a time to actually have success? Yeah. I mean, and I don't know. I don't know too many people that can make eight changes in a short period of time. <clears throat> Choose one or two things. Create success because the more you create success, the more it, it taps into your inner motivation like, oh, wow, that felt good. I'm going to now try something new. <clears throat> so instead of having failure experiences, because mm -hmm. the failure experiences then make you say, oh, I just feel terrible about myself. I, I, I don't have any energy to go for a walk or I don't have any energy to you know, make a salad for dinner or I don't have, like, so, so you have to create the emotional well-being. I'm forgiving myself. I'm taking care of myself. What do and don't I have control over doing things to take care of our emotional health impacts our physical health and just helps us then dig into that, that inner motivation to keep doing things to help ourselves. Yeah. I love that. We don't have to be perfect every day. The progress, not perfection, yeah. but the science of it shows that the more we can be successful and the more we can have positive reinforcement, the more we're going to actually do it rather than um, the old way of maybe whipping ourselves. So, <laughs> so good, yeah. good thing for us to know. Um, uh, Dr. Saunders, thank you as always for your wisdom on this subject. I want to let everyone know that um, they can, of course, uh, share this if they're listening on the podcast, they can re-listen to it. Um, and of course, follow on social media um, at Kara Sundland. We like to share this information, but it's positive information. So you're okay to watch it. Yes. It is. <laughs> All right, Dr. Saunders, we wish you uh, a happy new year. And as always, thankful for um, your practical tips so that we can all have a more positive outlook and better mental health. Please take care, Kara. You too. And thanks for being here for Kara's Cures. You can follow me on social media at Kara Sundlin. Join the Kara's Cures Facebook group on Facebook. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.